0: Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the following message provided by Renew Church. We pray that this message will be a blessing and encouragement for you. For more information about our church, please visit www.renew.miami. But your words have power. And that's the key thought to this message this morning is, is that whatever you say, whatever uh, comes out of your mouth, it has power. I mean, think about some words that changed a nation. Uh, Patrick Henry, as he led a colonial revolt against England, he said these three words. He said, liberty or death. Liberty or death, as he was getting ready to lead the the United States, or it wasn't that the colonies back then, but the colonies in a revolt in a revolution against England, he said, Give me liberty or give me death. Those are powerful words, but it meant that they it was that worthwhile to them that, like, literally, I would die rather than not be free. Actually, that that was rephrased by some slave rebels. Uh, when they marched on Richmond several years later, when they said death or liberty, and the slaves said, we want we would choose death or we want to be free. How many of you know their words made an impact? Their words are powerful. Another man said this, and it, it, it's impacted us for generations, for, for, for many years, for decades. It says, and so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do. For your country. JFK was changing the mindset of Americans. He was changing the mindset of what is it that what's in it for me? No, no, no. Stop asking what's in it for me and start asking what you can do for your country. And then finally, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Man, those words are so powerful. Those words have lived way beyond Dr. King, and people tried to put him out. People tried to stop his his legacy and JFK's legacy, but you can't stop these powerful, powerful, life-impacting words. You know, small words changed my family. Small words changed my family. For example, these words, maybe you've said them before, will you marry me? Or they were said to you, and you said yes or no, whichever way. But it changes your family, right? Right? Will you marry me? Another one is, is uh, I feel that God is calling me to become a pastor. Let me tell you, that changed my family for sure. It changed it in a big way for my wife and then soon-to-be daughters. Another few words that changed my family was, hey, we're going to plant a church. Ooh, that changed my family. That moved us uh, uh, away from everything we knew. It moved us from the familiar to a, a place of God. What in the world is this going to be like? And is anybody going to even show up to this place called Renew Church in West Kendall? But it changed my family. You're going to say some some words tomorrow, those of you that are parents, that are going to impact your children. And these are the words you need to say. Man, you're so smart. You are so intelligent. I am so proud of you. I believe in you. Those are kind of words you need to share with your kids. Don't worry about their hair not being just right. Don't worry if the socks don't match. Just tell them the powerful and impacting words of the fact that, hey, you are amazing. You're smart. I believe in you. Today is going to be a great day, and you are going to do great things. You've got to tell it to them because the voices in their head, and the lies of the people around them sometimes, even their own classmates who can be so cruel sometimes, will tell them, you're no good. You're a dummy. You can't do anything right. You look silly today. Whatever those words are that are said to you, to them, you've got to counter those words by speaking life and giving them powerful words that will make a difference in their life. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. And I'll start by reading just the very first verse. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Naaman. Naaman, this commander, this high-ranking official, one of the most powerful armies in the world. And he says he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And leprosy, for those of you that don't know, is a terrible, terrible disease. It was, uh, there was no cure for it. It was highly contagious. If you caught leprosy, if you got it, it started out as a small sore on your, your skin, on your flesh. But then it began to spread across your body to the point where your fingers and your toes would fall off. There was no cure for it, and it was a deadly and terrible disease. Naaman had this. He was a high-ranking official. He was a valiant soldier, and yet he had leprosy, and this is what it says about leprosy in Leviticus 13 in the law. If you were to, to read this, this is one of the laws that was given to the people of Israel. It says, The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, and cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. Like every time they came in contact with people, they had to, to do these things. Why? Because they were an outcast and they were infectious. It was a terrible, terrible disease. And this is what Naaman had. And as long as they had that infection, as long as they, they were leprous, they remained unclean and they must live alone outside the camp. Wow. What a terrible, terrible, like set for you. Like, you could be great, you could be powerful, you could be a high ranking official, but yet if you have leprosy, you're kind of done. You gotta be outcasted. And that's what happened with Naaman. He's a military champion, and yet he's not accepted by his own society, and people don't wanna be around him. They fear and revere him because of his military power and because of his strength, but they want nothing to do with him because they don't want that disease. So they fear him because he is respected, but they also fear him because they don't want what he has. Leprosy. This is where Naaman finds himself today. Let's keep reading. Now, bands of Arad, raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. Okay, so are you getting this? This is a, a, a girl that was captive, taken from her homeland. She was young. She didn't even get a name. All, all we know is she was a young girl that served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria... He would cure him of his leprosy. That's all she said. So here we have this girl. We don't have her name. We don't know who she is exactly. We just know that she was taken from her home. She was uh, uh, serving the, the Naaman's wife. And she's this nameless, insignificant servant, slave, if you will. But yet she was full of faith. You See the contrast between Naaman and the nameless girl? You see the contrast between who Naaman was with all of his power and might and and, and status. All of the, 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 the power that he wielded, but yet he had leprosy. And yet there's this little girl. She doesn't even get a name in the Bible. She's nameless. She doesn't have anything to speak of. She's very insignificant, yet she's full of faith. And she says, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria... He would cure him of his leprosy. She's speaking of Elisha because she knows that Elisha is a prophet of the one true God and that God worked through him. You see, I want to remind you that no matter how small you feel you are or how small your words might seem, they have power. For this nameless girl, it changed Naaman's life. For this nameless girl, it changed Naaman's life. So Naaman went to his master, the king of Aram, and he told him what the king, the girl from Israel, had said. And, and so then, then this is what it says in verse five. It says, "By all means, go." The king of Aram replied, "I will send a letter to the king of Israel." So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of gold, I mean of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes. And he said, Am I God? The king of Israel is upset about this. And he says, Can I, bring, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? Well, he didn't do that. See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So here's a contrast of two kings. The king of Aram says, by all means, go. By everything that I have, go. And he's, he's saying, I'm going to send a letter signed and, and, and sealed with my signet ring. It's going to be the official letter that sends you and gives you authorization to go. And when I sign this letter, whatever that... King and that country has, they're going to provide it. Otherwise, they're going to be in trouble. And he says, by all means, go. Along with that, he gives them 750 pounds of silver. That's how much that silver was worth. $2 million million worth of gold. That's how much the gold was worth. And then 10 sets of clothing. I actually have no idea why 10 sets of clothing. I've read that so many times and I'm like, Ten sets of clothing, man, if only the king of Aram had ever been into Ross, he would think we're like billionaires around here or something. Ten sets of clothing, like two million in gold, I get it. 750 pounds of silver, I get it. What's the ten sets of clothing? Like, that's like a hundred bucks when when you buy on the clearance rack. That's what my outfit's worth, about ten bucks, somewhere in there. Ten sets of clothing. The king of Israel, so the king of Aram says, by all means, go, and here's all this stuff. Here's the king of... Israel. He's freaking out. He's tearing his clothes, and he's saying, am I God? Why is the king of Aram picking a fight with me? He's thinking to himself, there's no way we can do this. The king of Israel, you see, knows the same God that the nameless girl knows. He's the king of Israel, but he's dependent not on God. He's dependent on himself. That's what happens sometimes. Even in those positions, you begin to depend on yourself and on your wealth and on everything that you have. And his memory and his vision get mixed up. His vision, he, he stops seeing God. He stops seeing what the one true God can do and that he can heal her master in Israel. She, her vision gets mixed up. I mean, his vision gets mixed up. His memory is, gets fuzzy. He forgets what God can do. Even though he has seen God heal. I mean, he's the king of Israel, of, of the God of Israel. But he forgets what God can do, and he's thinking, this guy's trying to start a fight with me. What is he doing? So we have the king of Aram that's offering all means. Everything that he physically can give him that he thinks he could need money-wise and possession-wise. And the king of Israel is offering nothing. The king of Israel saying, no, 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 there's nothing. But neither of those was enough. All of it and none of it was enough. Neither of them was enough. Here's what it is. Sometimes it's not what you have. It's who you know. Sometimes it's not what you have, being the king of Aram. But it's instead who you know, like the nameless girl. She only offered a name, the prophet in Samaria, and she knew that Elisha could heal him. I want to keep reading there in verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 5. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man... Speaking of Naaman, have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Get this picture for just a second, okay? Here's here's Naaman with his horses, with his chariots. Like you don't just get a chariot. Nobody owns a chariot. Like you don't just go down the road and finance one at the the chariots of Kindle. They don't have them. It's, it's, they're, they're highly, uh, uh, like valued and, and very powerful machinery. It's like the, the, the most modern of technology and Naaman rolls up on chariots, plural with his horses, his chariots. There's a small army and they're parading through town and everybody is watching this go down. Everybody is seeing this happening. Naaman left the palace and he's going to the prophet's house and he's knocking on the door. Waiting for Elisha to come out and do what only elisha can do, what the nameless girl says, hey, what you can wh- wh- here's what, what can be done uh, through the prophet elisha doesn't even elisha doesn't even open the door. he sends his servant to open the door, and when he opens it, this is what he tells the servant to say so so elisha's kind of like in this little hut, like Naaman just came from the palace and he shows up to a maybe a, a space about as big as This area right here, I'm imagining just a tiny little house. And Elisha can't even do the service of getting up and going to the door. Instead, he sends his servant to the door. And this is what he says. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Is there a next verse? Sorry. All right. He was upset about this, right? He says, then, are not the Arbana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, there they are. You guys are behind me a little bit, gentlemen. I was thinking it should be. Are not the Arbana and the Far Far the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Could you imagine this for just a second? Can you imagine how mad Naaman is? Who does this guy, Elisha, think he is? Doesn't he know that I'm the commander of the king of Aram and I could snap my fingers and I could have this town obliterated? I could like just level it in no time at all. You see, there's a lesson in the leprosy. There's a lesson in this message this morning in that, first of all, leprosy is no respecter of persons, no matter how powerful you are, no matter how significant you are. If you're a human being, you can get leprosy. It doesn't care how important you think you are. And there's another lesson in this message in that it is that God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter who you think you are, how important you think you are, how many Instagram followers you have, or what kind of likes your post got last night, it does not, he does not care. He's no respecter of persons. And so when Naaman walks up to the door, when he shows up to Elisha's house and he doesn't answer for him, Naaman is fired up. Naaman is angry about this whole thing because Naaman wants a ceremony. He just brought a half ton of silver, $2 million in gold, and 10 cents of clothes for whatever reason. And he wants more. He wants a faith healing. He wants him to be pushed over. He wants his hand waved or something. But he wants more than the servant to walk out and say, hey, go wash your... Watch yourself in the Jordan seven times. But when the prophet of God tells you to do something, you just got to do it. Here's what the verse says in verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and they said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. His flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. So his servant saw what, something that Naaman didn't see. Naaman goes to this dirty river. Imagine with me for just a minute. He's going to this dirty river. And on the instruction of the servant of the man of the God in Samaria, on the instruction of the prophet Elisha, He goes to this river and he's standing at the river's edge. He's pretty upset because he's like, I could go to my own river and it's much cleaner because the Jordan River is really not very clean. You see the baptism images of people that get baptized where Jesus was. It's really not that beautiful of a river. It's kind of actually a little bit nasty. But that's where Elisha says, you need to be dunked. That's where you need to be baptized. That's where you need to be cleansed. So he's standing at the river's edge after arguing with his servants, after arguing with himself thinking about even destroying the whole town and the house that Elisha's in, he steps into the river, sores all over his body, this leprosy all over him. You know it's not good for you. You know it's not good for the sores, but he's stepping down into the river on bath number one and thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into? It doesn't feel good, right? He comes out, and then he gets ready to go in for bath number two, baptism number two. And there's kids playing in the river and a mom's washing her clothes and everybody's looking at this poor person and they know because they saw the entourage behind him and they're thinking to themselves what in the world is he going to do he's going back in that again look how nasty it is and look how nasty he is and so he steps into the river for the second time and it becomes pretty humbling for him the third time he gets into the river and there's a cow over there lapping water and he's like man what am I doing is this is this even going to make a difference why am I doing this? Number four, is that a dead fish right there floating in the river? Number five, I might as well give up. This is not doing anything for me. I don't feel anything. Why would I do this? Number six, what's going on? Number seven, come up and coming, he comes out of the water, whole, healed, and his flesh was restored like that of a young boy, like that of a little child. Verse 15 says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet Elisha answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I won't accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Remember, he's no respecter of persons. Elisha wasn't doing it for any kind of gift. God doesn't do what he does for any kind of gift. God doesn't, he can't be bought. You can't can't pay him off. And Elisha had to make sure that this wasn't about Naaman, the king, the money or anything else. And here's what I want you to get today. I want you to get a few things. Number one, that your words are powerful. The little dominoes in your life, the little things in your life that you say, even like the nameless girl there in Naaman's house, they can change someone's world forever, for eternity. Your words have an impact, so use them wisely. Consider the things that you say and consider the way in which you you say them because whether good or bad, they can affect the people around you. Your words are powerful. Second thing is, is your current condition is insignificant compared to your spiritual disposition. I'm going to invite Akeem to come up and our worship team to be ready. Your current condition is insignificant compared to your spiritual disposition. Think about that for just a second. Here's this nameless girl. She was in a pretty bad place physically. She'd been taken from her home. She'd been taken from, from everything that she knew. But she had the right spiritual disposition, Right? She had this place that, that she, she knew who she was in God, regardless of what was going on around her physically. And on the opposite side, Naaman, he was this powerful commander physically and, and in, in many other ways, like he was a valiant soldier, but his spiritual disposition wasn't there. And that's what made all the difference. You see, your current condition is insignificant compared to your spiritual disposition, the same could be said of the king of aram king of israel and elisha it wasn't elisha's spiritual it wasn't his condition living in the hut in the in the prophet's house what mattered was his spiritual disposition and that's why he was able to even send the servant to send the king uh, i mean the commander of the army of aram down to a river and after seven times the man be healed of a deadly disease it, was his, it wasn't because of anything physical that he did. It was because of the spiritual disposition and because of the connection that he had to God and what God told him to do that made the difference in Naaman's life. Number three, be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. Be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. This may be the toughest one for us. You see, Naaman's opinion and his pride, it almost cost him his healing and his conversion. His opinion and his pride almost cost him his healing and his conversion. You see that? Like, he, he was thinking to himself, but I am the commander of the king of Aram. I'll just go back to the, the river in my hometown. Guess what would have happened? Nothing would have happened. He could have washed 70 times, and nothing would have happened. The only thing that would have made the difference, the only thing that did make the difference was that he was obedient, even when it didn't make sense. Thank God for the young servants that spoke into his life that made the difference, that said, hey, if he had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it, right? So do this little thing and go dip in the river, even if it's seven times and everybody's watching you. Do what he tells you to do. Be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. You know, this message and and this Disease, leprosy, it, it for me has kind of a, um, it makes me think of a, a, another disease in our world today. Leprosy was back in that time because they didn't have a cure for it, they didn't have any kind of um, vaccines for it. It was worse than the AIDS epidemic in the 90s. Remember those days? People, if they had AIDS, you, you, you literally, if they had HIV or whatever, you just literally like, you outcasted those people some of some of us did maybe leprosy was that for and then some in those days and you were literally isolated from society as i I mentioned you were it was no respecter of persons no matter who you were it was a dreaded disease it was contagious it started small as just a little scar or sore on your your hand or your leg and it began to spread throughout your body. You became an outcast in your society. There was no cure. Only God could heal it. And I think what I'm trying to get at is is that there's something that's kind of a contrasting idea or epidemic in our world today. Not quite like leprosy, but a little bit like leprosy in some ways. The epidemic in our world today is sin. Sin. It's no respecter of persons, is it? Doesn't matter how powerful you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how significant or insignificant you think you are. Your physical condition has nothing to do with that spiritual disposition. That sin. It's a dreaded disease. Maybe you haven't caught the effects of it yet. Maybe you don't know how bad it is at this point. But it's contagious. It starts small, but it begins to spread. Have you seen that for others in your life, maybe in your world? And it can even lead to you being ousted from your community, put out by those that you care about the most. But the hope is that there's a cure. The good news is that there's a cure. Amen. There is a cure for this epidemic called sin. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, For all have sinned, and the Apostle Paul says, and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have, have experienced this deadly disease. But there's promise in, in another verse in Romans which says, first of all, it says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, yes, it is an epidemic and it will take your life It will destroy you. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Jesus came as the healing for our disease. And he offers us this free gift. And it's an eternal gift, not because we deserve it. It's because of this thing, this amazing thing called grace that we have grace that can heal you a grace that can transform you a grace that can set you free and so I'm talking to you if you have battled a disease like this in your life whether it's bitterness towards a friend or a family member uh, just feeling of self worth and just like I don't even want to face the day every single day and, and, and maybe like thinking to yourself I wish I was someone else somewhere else Maybe it's a hatred towards another person. Maybe it's a, 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 a temptation that has birthed into a, an addiction. But started out as just an innocent little thought. Maybe it's a lust or an alternative that you're looking for in your life. I need you to hear this, what Naaman's servant told him. He said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, he had told you to do something great wouldn't you do it like if you're dealing with an epidemic in your life wouldn't you do something about it how much more when he tells you to wash and be cleansed and I think that that's what Jesus is calling us to to be washed and to be cleansed to be set free from this epidemic this disease that seems to hold us back and Naaman he didn't want to be baptized seven times in the Jordan but that's what it took and for you it's not seven baptisms but maybe it's letting go of something that God is telling you it's time to let go of and this thing can no longer have a hold on you and today is the day that you are to be set free this morning our musicians are going to come forward we're going to hit the lights and we're going to sing this closing song I'm going to invite uh, you guys to stand up and uh, somebody hit those lights in the back for me. Awesome. And this is that time again where uh, this is really between you and God. It's an intimate moment where you can just kind of think about like what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, what your, what your challenges are in your life. And you can just come before uh, a, a heavenly father that cares about you, that loves you that knows about the details of your life, whatever it is that you're struggling with, and He wants to help you through those things. He wants to offer to you this free grace that we talked about this morning. So we're going to sing the song. At the end of the message, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond. You, you just worship. Come, come with the heart of worship. If you want to come forward, um, I'm going to invite uh, our prayer ministry leaders to, to be up the, at the front to... Uh, to pray with anybody that wants to pray. You can pray there at your seat. I'll lead you in a closing prayer. But this is that opportunity for you to respond. As I said, some of you are responding already. This is that chance. Let's sing together, and then we'll uh, I'll come back up and pray.
1: song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the
0: The the significance of sometimes the most insignificant things. The tiniest of things in our life. The little things in your life that can make an impact for the rest of your life. And for someone in this place, maybe this is that moment you're going to tip the tiny domino and it's going to lead to a transformed life. You're going to become and experience that renewal that we talk about every week at Renew Church. If anyone's in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Man, I want that for you more than anything else. That's why we do this. It's not about Kona ice. It's not about bounce houses or urban air. It's about people crossing over from death to life. And that's what baptism is all about. When when Jesus... Uh, gave us this symbol of baptism and when we see it there in the New Testament and and the Apostle Paul talks about it in Colossians chapter 2 he talks about the fact that we were buried with Christ in baptism and then we were raised to life in new life in Jesus Christ our old is passed away our old is dead, buried so here's the old Trevor and he's buried under that water and then up comes the brand new Trevor Pound raised to new life in Jesus Christ and that's why we celebrate that's what we get excited about seeing people experience that fully and know what it means that I'm no longer my own I've died to myself I've died to my ways I've been washed by the blood of Jesus I've been set free because of his amazing grace I can be brand new I can be forgiven and set free from all the things that has held me back but you got to take that step Those servants for Naaman, they couldn't do it for him. They couldn't take the water and pour it on him. He had to take the step. He had to get into the river, and he had to take that step. He had to do it seven times. For you, it may just be this. It may just be, yes, Lord, that response that we were talking about, saying, yes, Lord, today, here and now, I'm choosing to follow you. Whatever it is, Whatever your decision is, man, I, I would pray that you wouldn't leave this place the same way you walked in. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? This isn't about the person to your left or to your right. This is between you and God. It's that time and that opportunity for you just to keep, just to, just to come before Him and to say, God, here's my life. Here's my struggle. Here's my, my, uh, my sin. And I can't seem to get rid of it. How many know Jesus can take care of any sin? He can take care of any temptation, addiction, any struggle, any anxiety, any fear. He can help you. He can restore you. He can make you brand new. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, maybe for you, you're tipping the domino. And you're going to ask Jesus, to be your Lord and Savior, whether it's for the very first time, or maybe it's a recommitment to Christ today, and you're saying, you know what, I've been kind of like putting God on the back burner. I haven't really uh, made Him a priority in my life, but here and now today, on this first day back to, to, you know, uh, getting ready for school to start and a new year, I want to start fresh today. This is a great opportunity for that. This is a perfect opportunity for that, for you just to say, Lord Jesus, I am declaring you again as my Lord and my Savior. It's a simple prayer of faith, and I'll lead you in it. But if that's you today, and you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you would say, Pastor, all the way to the back wall, all the way to the front, if that's you, and you would say, I want to declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want him to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at, wherever you're at? I see your hand right here in the middle. Thank you, ma'am. Praise God. Anyone else? Anyone else that would say, Pastor, I want to make that decision. I want to make that declaration here and now today. I see your hand in the back. Praise God for you, ma'am. Anyone else? I won't wait long. Anyone else? Here's how this prayer goes. And you can repeat it in your heart as I repeat it out loud. It goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've made mistakes. Sin has been creeping at my door. It's been trying to take over my life. It's messing with my family. It's messing with my home and my job and with my mind. It's just messing with me. And I no longer want sin to have a a stronghold in my life. I want to be set free. I want to be forgiven i want to be made new and so here and now, today, this day, I declare Jesus as Lord. I declare him a savior. I ask him to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and to make me brand new. Jesus, because you died for me, I choose to live for you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for setting me free and making me new. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Let's give these two a round of applause right here and now. Praise God. The Bible says that angels, multitudes of angels are rejoicing in heaven, even over these two that made a decision. And maybe it's not a decision to cry for Christ for the first time, but if you would say, Pastor, there's a sin in my life, and I need to be set free. I need to give it to God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I'm giving it to God today. I see your hand in the back. Anybody else? Anybody else saying, I'm giving it to God today? Praise God, I see your hand. Anybody else, bold enough, responding? Remember, this is a response. The response is either yes or no. Sometimes the response is no when you keep your hand down. Or maybe you're just, everything is good, and that's great too. Praise God for that. But make that declaration, Jesus, have my life. Have everything, every part of me. I give it to you. Don't leave this place the same way you came. God, we thank you for hearts. We thank you for lives. We thank you for these people that are even coming before you with lifted hands saying, God, take the sin. Take the fear. Take my struggle. Set me free. To Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Okay, Mikey's on his way up. And hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to be dismissed in just a second. Mikey's going to give those final announcements. Come on up, bro. Um, and here's what's gonna happen uh, at the end of the service we're gonna we're gonna do the drawing Mikey's in charge of that figure that out bro you got it uh, Kona ice is on your way out and they did that intentionally because they don't want the kids to spill red icy all over the brand new freshly wa- sprayed sidewalk so on your way out you, you get a Kona ice you don't pay a dime kids and adults we're buying them for the adults too bro so everybody gets one uh, Get that bounce house oh we we have a couple of kids that are getting baptized today from our rc kids ministry a brother and sister i'm super excited for uh little blake and ava let's give them a round of applause blake and ava Gilboyle. and maybe i'm gonna just kind of while blake and ava get dressed and stuff they have five minutes um, while they get ready if you wanted to do that and today this is spontaneous and you don't know you didn't come prepared for it we've got a a shirt we've got extra towels maybe today you should take that step and if that's you while everybody's on their way out or bouncing on the bounce house or getting their tickets filled out all of that meet me up here for just a minute and let's talk and let's see if this is the day for you I'd love to help you take that step, even when you didn't know it. Sometimes that's the most beautiful step is when you tip the domino and you didn't even know you were going to do that. Either way, we're going to celebrate, hang out for the 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 baptism. It'll only take a couple minutes with uh, Blake and Ava. But uh, thank you so much. And uh, Mikey, take over. Let's give it
2: up for Pastor Trevor for delivering that word this morning. Thank you, Pastor. So like you said, we're going to have baptism now. And on your way out, if you have a connection card, who filled out the connection card specifically for the Urban Air raffle? Raise your hand. 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 Okay. Pastor, come on, man. All right. So if that's you, you are going to drop your connection card off to jimmy everyone look back and see jimmy has a bucket up in the air you're going to give it to that guy you're going to drop it off in there if you have a tithe you're going to drop it off in the black boxes there Or if you have another connection card just look for someone else with a bucket back there i think paula's back there with a bucket so you can give it to her urban air to jimmy guys this is the time where we, we worship god through the tithes of offering so let's pray for that right now god i thank you for this morning lord i thank you for these families here represented god I pray that you bless this offering this morning, Father, that you just bless the people here, Father, that you continue to work through Renew Church, God, and and help us bless this community, Father, in your name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. You are now dismissed.